Well, good morning, Crossroads. Uh, if you wouldn't mind turning your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3, and we're going to get there eventually. Don't, uh, uh, don't dismay. We will get to Jonah chapter 3 eventually, but uh, if you just want to, I don't know, put a, a, a mark in there and uh, uh, reserve that, we'll get, we'll get there eventually. Today I want us to start uh, really the new year. I know New Year uh, started last week, but um, my first Sunday in the pulpit in January of 2018, I want us to start look, by looking at a priority, the priority of Crossroads Church, and that is everyone matters. Um, I don't think you can go anywhere in this place without seeing that, hearing that, or uh, maybe acknowledging that that is going on here. Everyone matters. And, you know, people say that's a lofty goal. That's, uh, that's a ridiculously high standard to put that everyone matters. How can you possibly do that? How can you possibly reach that grand dream that you have, that the church has? Everyone matters. Uh, I've heard these comments. Isn't that just people pleasing? Isn't that just, uh, you know, if, if you stand for everything, you stand for nothing. If, you, if you're uh, doing that, you must be watering down the gospel if everyone indeed matters and that's a priority to you. And over the years, as you can imagine, we've experienced a lot of criticism for that. But let me tell you that that priority, everyone matters, is one of the main reasons why I am here in Decatur, Texas. It's one of the main reasons why my wife Dana and my boy Gabe, we moved 600 miles from central Illinois to Decatur, Texas because there was a dream, a dream that everyone matters. There's something special, something different, something organic, and may I even say there's something spiritual going on here. For a church, for a congregation, for a group of people to get together and to say, everyone matters, that's our highest priority around here, there's something special. This is a church where, yes, we mess up. We miss the mark. You know, sometimes we overshoot. Sometimes we undershoot. Sometimes we swerve to the right when we should go to the left, and sometimes we swerve to the left when we should be going right. But you know what? Surprisingly, here at Crossroads, that's okay. There's something organic about it. Like I said, there's something spiritual about it. That's what's going on. Um, I think it's safe to say, hopefully you're not surprised for me to say that I've been criticized for that. We've been criticized for that. We've been criticized for doing. We've been criticized for not doing. For moving, for not moving. For speaking, for not speaking. For caring, for loving, for opening the door for extending grace beyond what's expected. We've been criticized for going the extra mile. We've been criticized for not going the extra mile. But overall, 
the posture that we've had as a church, the posture you've had, the posture I've had is one of open hands, open arms, open heart, open mind. Simply saying, God, what do you have for us? We want you to speak. We want you to form who we are and what we do, where we go. So many times, once again, Thursday morning, our men's group, I don't know, it's almost like this, this skipping record. And for those of you who were born uh, um, in the last 20, 30 years, you have no clue what a record is. But, uh, you know, it used to skip and the same thing over and over. But it's like uh, Thursday mornings, uh, man, if you're looking for a play, 7 to 8 a.m. Uh, out here in the lobby, we just hang out and we, we hear from the Lord and we, we kind of hone each other and that. It's a great time together. But I don't know how many times, it's almost weekly, we get to this point where we go, just this posture of, God, would you speak? Would you, would you talk? Would you, would you form in us what we need to hear and what we need to do? That's what goes on here at Crossroads, and I believe it's served us well. Reacting quickly, but not hastily. I believe it's served the kingdom of God well here in Wise County. Well, last summer, I took uh, my usual uh, number of weeks to... Uh, be out of the pulpit, and it's a time the elders bless me with each year to be able to unwind a little bit, relax, but also be proactive in preparing the next year of sermons and where we're going and um, hearing from the Lord of what our Sunday mornings look like. Well, last summer as I was doing that and, and got through a good part of that time and, and got to look at the new year, January 2018, and what God had for us, I really felt the Lord wanting us to focus in on this priority that we have where everyone matters. But as you know, the, the church calendar and a preaching calendar and a teaching calendar doesn't happen in a vacuum. Uh, there are holidays, there's the ebbs and flows of, of family life, there's uh, things like coming up in a few weeks, Super Bowl Sunday, uh, not that that really affects the church calendar, but uh, it does. It's when uh, the, the Cowboys play a noon game and y'all are at home in your jammies turning on the TV or you're tailgating out at Cowboy Stadium. You know, things like that, but there are also other times of the year and, and the context in which sermons fit. There's Easter and there's Thanksgiving, there's Christmas, things like that. And as I got looking at this January season, I got looking at the calendar and what was going on. I saw that today, or I should say this weekend, particularly tomorrow, is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Next week is Sanctity of Life Human Sunday. And as I felt the Lord speaking to me about everyone matters, I thought that I saw really God putting these two things together. And so today what I want us to look at is I want us to talk about racial reconciliation today. Um, sadly, this is the first time I've ever spoken on this in my life. Um, there's a whole lot more in that, and I'll, I'll un unpack that and unwind that in just a little bit. Next Sunday, I want us to look at born and unborn. I want us to look at the priority that we place on life. Even prior to birth, what we would call life begins at conception. 
And then three weeks from, I should say two weeks from today in the third part of this series, I want us to talk about our Christ-like attitude. And it really is a sacrifice of the one for the benefit of the many. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to sacrifice, give his life as a sacrifice for many, and we're called to do the same. And how do we do that? How do we live that out? That's the priority of everyone matters. And so today I want us to look at division and unity, color, creed, Jew, Greek, slave, free, male, female. And we're going to go on from there these next few weeks. You know, we live in a messed up world, truly a messed up world. And with what God has called us to do, I'm, I'm convinced that what God has called us to and what God has called us to do is extremely tangential to what the world is up to. It's tangential to this, this messed up world that we live in. It was funny, yesterday we were, we were driving into uh, Metroplex in the car and, and uh, Gabe's in the back seat, our 15-year-old's in the back seat and he's got his far side, uh, you know, those uh, comic books, the big, huge, thick comic books and he's flipping through it and he was telling me about this one uh, comic panel that he was reading and it was this, this hot dog factory that was wondering what was going wrong and why they weren't able to sell as many hot dogs as they wanted to and the problem was, and the picture was, the hot dogs were perpendicular to the buns. It was, it was crossways, and they, they were trying to figure this out, and they couldn't figure it out. If you don't have a warped sense of humor like I do, you just kind of write it off and ignore it. But that's the picture of what we are called to within this messed up world. We're called to this tangential priority to what the world's priority is. It, it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. It doesn't bud. It is the hope of the world. For many of you, this isn't news, but I grew up in Canada. I grew up in Western Canada, out in Vancouver. And uh, I grew up in the late 60s, and if you do your math, it puts me right at 50. Um, late 60s, in a time when here in the United States of America, it, it was a volatile situation racially here in the United States. It might be news to you, but just a few miles north of the border, a few miles north of Washington State, right out on the Pacific Ocean there, there was a, a bubble of calm. Early years of my life, I don't recall much. I didn't watch the news when I was a kid, especially when I was four or five years old. I had no clue what was going on south of the border. It definitely, what was going on south of the border definitely was not happening north of the border. And it was definitely not happening in our neck of the woods, even though the vast majority of residents in my city, which at that time was about two million people, the vast majority were non-white, minority. I remember soccer practice when I was five or six years old, seven or eight years old. The vast majority of, of kids I played soccer with were from Pakistan or India or Hong Kong, other places around the world. So much so I felt like I was, I was abnormal because I was Canadian. I didn't have an ethnicity. And one day I remember going home and asking mom and saying, hey, what are we? 
And she, my mom says, well, my, my dad was Romanian and my mom was Ukrainian. And so I, I hooked onto it. And I'm like, I like Ukrainian food. I like, I like sausage or cabbage rolls and, and uh, we call them put ahead, um, uh, pierogies. Uh, so I love pierogies. I love that. So I'm, I'm Ukrainian. And that was kind of my claim to fame because everyone else around me was ethnic. And I was just Canadian. And so there was this bubble that I grew up in, completely unaware of what was going on south of the border, even in high school. 75% of my high school was non-white. I was the minority. Didn't really know it because to a certain degree, I was colorblind. Our community was colorblind, and I, I, I would love to say that that, that superseded and it, 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 it interrupted and it cut off and it even eliminated racism, but it didn't. Because what I know now was there was still a, a, a city and a community and even a church, sad to say, that was prejudice, that was drawing conclusions, that was bigoted, that was selfish, that was uncaring and insensitive. You see, even my family wasn't immune. I wasn't immune. Even though it wasn't on the evening news, even though it wasn't to such a volatile state as it was here in the United States, it was still something that was, was present and still something that divided. Fast forward to 2000, the year 2000. And in late 1999, early 2000, Dana and I, this is before Gabe, um, we moved from Vancouver, Canada to Decatur, Illinois. And yeah, you heard me right, Decatur, Illinois. Uh, I have something for Decaters, I don't know, just. Uh, we moved to Decatur, Illinois, and it was a, a city of about 80,000 people in the middle of corn and soybean fields, central Illinois, halfway between Chicago and St. Louis, just this isolated little community out in the middle of nowhere. 80,000 people, 70% white, 30% black. And as I dropped into this community and, and started to pastor, I, I, I recognized that there was some peace and it seemed to be uh, a, a very unified city. So much so that uh, um, different, uh, um, it was reflected in, in so many areas of the community, schools and even churches. Many of us pastors would get together and in, the, in, this, in this room of about 20 to 30 pastors as we would meet monthly, many within that room were, were black, many were white. But then something happened. A few weeks on the ground in Decatur, Illinois, there was an event that took place at a football game on a Friday night. Six black teenagers uh, got in trouble. I won't go into details of what happened, but it was, it was all on tape, on, all on videotape, and, and they were consequently expelled from school. Being from Canada, being from West Coast, my background, I didn't think much of it, but was shocked over the next few days and weeks how that event exploded. 
That event set Decatur, Illinois back 30 years in race relations. I don't know even to this day exactly how it happened, but you could draw a line down the middle of the city after that happened. Sides were picked and they were along racial lines, whites on one side, blacks on the other. You could draw a line down the middle of churches. You could draw a line between churches, between African-American churches and white churches. So much so that the next time that we gathered together as pastors, 20 to 30 of us in a room, there was an us versus them mentality. And it wasn't just a sentiment, it was a verbal challenge. You're either standing with us or you're standing with them. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. I'd heard about things like this going on. I'd heard about this, this exploded so much. CNN was in town. Rainbow Push was on the forefront. Jesse Jackson came to town. Churches were marching down the streets in support of one side or the other. I couldn't believe what was going on. I remember one time at one of these pastor gatherings, I got talking just in my ignorance and just asking questions. I got talking to a, um, a black pastor. I, I would say he's in his mid to late 70s. And in the course of that week, I'd been doing some reading and catching up on my American history because I was completely ignorant. To find out that even as late as the 40s and 50s, in central Illinois, there have been lynchings in city squares. In Illinois, in the mid-40s and 50s. And I remember looking this black pastor in the, in the eyes. I just said, I have, I have no way to, of knowing what you've been through. No way. I can't even wrap my mind around it. Either what you've seen, or what your mom and dad have seen, or what your grandparents have seen or even experienced. I have no way of understanding, no way of knowing. I live in a messed up world. A messed up world. Here in America, there's a long-standing volatile history. Back in the 80s and 90s, Miami riots, Los Angeles riots, as a result of police brutality, things seemed to escalate in the, in the 2000s. Oakland, California, Ferguson, Missouri, Baltimore, Maryland, Salt Lake City, Utah. 2016, right here in Dallas. Twelve people shot, five police officers killed. Charlottesville, Virginia, seemed to ignite the tensions all over again last August. You have years and generations 
And in all of this, what I've heard from the Lord, I was telling one of our elders after first service, I said, to a certain degree, I feel ill, not prepared, but ill-suited to speak to this simply because I'm Canadian. And as your pastor, I, I feel obligated and compelled to speak about this. And what I feel the Lord telling me and telling us as a church is we are not to bury our heads in the sand. We're not to throw up our, our shoulders and say, oh, well. We're not to say, well, I, do, I don't want to get involved. What I hear the Lord speaking to us about is moving in and stepping closer. And once again, to have our hands open and go, God, what do you have us to do? What do you have us to say? What's, what's our actions to look like? What would you have us do? I feel the Lord saying, don't shy away, but crossroads, I want you to pursue reconciliation and pursue solutions. I recognize that in one Sunday, we can't explore fully everything that needs to be explored. There's no way we can fully say what needs to be said. But we can start, and we can begin, and we can start pressing in. At Crossroads, hear me, I'm so, so thankful of a multicultural congregation where everyone matters. I thank the Lord, and I don't take that lightly. I don't take that lightly, but I'm also convicted that there's a lot of work to do. There's a ton of work to do. And I'm willing to step that way, and I'm encouraging you to do the same. There's a video I want to share with you that I found this week. I think it will be helpful in beginning this process and beginning this discussion. When we talk about matters of race, I think it's very important to begin with a thought that because we all bear some sort of an ethnicity or multiple ethnicities like my kids do i mean they're a little bit of mexican a little bit of irish a little bit of african-american that that shapes our view of the world here's what i'm saying if you're listening to this and you're white most white people do not consciously see themselves as being white i really don't believe it sort of like I don't consciously see myself as having two arms. It's just how I function. I want you to view minorities, though, as having one arm. If you're a one-armed person in a two-armed society, you are consistently aware of the fact that you've got one arm. So if I'm going to build bridges and have authentic relationships as a two-armed person with a one-armed person, there's got to be this driving sense of sensitivity and awareness and compassion towards them. Not as some pet projects, but I need to take some steps towards them. So I would say, first of all, you got to flip a switch and go, I've been created with a certain ethnicity. My ethnicity, no matter who you are, African-American, Mexican, uh, Chinese, white, no matter who you are, your ethnicity has some great things about it, but it also comes with some limitations. And what you need is, you need a multi-ethnic tribe of friendships who are going to press against your personal preferences and cultural norms, and in that emerges a beauty. That's why I think God's primary tool in sanctifying us outside of the Holy Spirit are other people. And you need other people in your life who don't see it the way you see it, right? So. 
if you're a white person, let's say, um, and you, you, you have been raised with an ethic of the police are your friends. So if your cat gets stuck in the trees, we call the police, police comes over, gets the cat out. That's kind of your ethic. That's the world you grew up in. They were your friends. Well, if you're an African-American maybe, and you grew up in a different context, and police were not someone to be friendly with, but if police were around, it's because something drastically was wrong and you could end up being killed or going to go, go to jail, that's a completely different perspective. Now let me ask you a question. Whose perspective is right and who's wrong? I don't think it's a matter of right or wrong. I just think it's a matter of seeing things differently. So what we have to do is check a box and go, I have a perspective, box number two. My perspective is not always right. And it takes humility to see that. And so I may be a part of the Fox News crowd. I may be, I may be a part of the MSNBC crowd or the CNN crowd. But what I need is, if I'm part of the CNN crowd, I need my Fox News friends to show me a different way of looking at it. Instead of seeing things through a black and white, right and wrong perspective, now we've got some beauty here. Now there's the yin and yang. Corey Edwards, a PhD at The Ohio State University, she says this. She says, if you actually go to, to a homogenous church, homogenous churches actually entrench racism. Why? Are homogenous churches racist? That's not her point. She's saying, in a homogenous church where everybody pretty much sees it generally from the same perspective, then those perspectives get deepened and entrenched. The beauty of a multi-ethnic church is you, you, you have people who see it differently, who there's some give and take there. I just, not too long ago, white lady at my church, I pastor a multi-ethnic church on the West Coast. White lady at my church is the head of the Donald Trump campaign for Santa Clara. She asked me and our mostly African-American elder board to anoint her with oil and pray over her. Now we didn't do that in service, and we didn't pray over Donald Trump, we prayed over her. But do you not think there is some angst among some of my African-American elders? Of course there is, but I think there's beauty in that. I love the fact that you can't label our church the Republican church or the Democratic church. So, so we, we've gotta have the humility to go, there's different perspectives here, and so now I come into the relationship not trying to clone somebody in my image, but I come into the relationship going, you bring something to the table, I don't. There's a way of seeing God and seeing life that you have that I don't have. Let me learn from you. I think that's the beauty of it. And as long as you come with humility, I think the rest is a lot easier. Over in Jonah chapter three, I told you we'd get there. Jonah three, actually at the beginning part of Jonah, um, hopefully you know the story because we're gonna, just time-wise, we're gonna abbreviate it. Uh, Jonah gets asked by God to go to Nineveh. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. And uh, so he does this head fake. And I don't know if I can do it because I never played football, but I played rugby. And, you, you know, hey, I'm going to go to Nineveh, but not really. And um, so he says, oh, yeah, God, I'm going to go to Nineveh. But then he doesn't go to Nineveh. He goes down and takes a, a ship to Tarshish. And just to get you a little bit of context where, where Jonah is, he's in, uh, in and around, he's actually in Joppa. Um, in and around uh, Israel, and Nineveh is over in Assyria, so inland, and Nineveh is uh, one of the, the, the primary cities in Assyria, a foreign city, foreigners, um, 
Tarshish, even though it's way over, way over in what we know today as Spain, it's over that way, um, it, and you'd think it was a foreign land, it was populated and settled by Benjamites, who were of the, the, the line of Benjamin, um, who were kin, family to Jonah. So even though he was saying, oh, I'm gonna go all this way for you, Lord, to Tarshish, in fact, he was taking the easy way out and going to his folk. Instead of going to the foreigners in Nineveh who were pagans worshiping other gods, and God wanted Jonah to speak into their lives and to bring correction to their waywardness, to their evil ways in hopes that they would turn and honor and worship the one true God. So God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and he, he pulls the head fake and, and goes to Tarshish, and we know what happens, that things didn't end well for Jonah. Well, they didn't go well for him. They ended well because he gets spit back up on the beach, and he's given a second chance. Jonah gets to Nineveh, and reluctantly, begrudgingly, like asking your kids to do their homework, he delivers the message, 40 more days and Nineveh will be destroyed unless you acknowledge the one true God and turn from your wicked ways, turn from your evil ways, turn from your pagan worship and turn to the one true God. Jonah is A, hoping that they don't, and he's hoping because they're foreigners, because they don't look like him, smell like him, eat like him, and, and think like him, he is hoping, and we don't have this specifically in scripture, but we can read through the, uh, between the lines, that he's hoping that lightning comes down from heaven and smokes this entire city. And what happens is contrary to what Jonah wants, but exactly what God had sent him to do, and they turn from their ways, they turn from their evil ways, they turn to the one true God, and take a look at Jonah chapter three, verse 10, and what goes on here. When God saw, it says, what they had done and how they, the Ninevites, put a stop to their evil ways, get this, he changed, God changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. And wouldn't it be great if we could put a period on there and there was great celebration because that's what there should be, right? And yet, it, the story doesn't end there, sadly. Read on, it says, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry so he complained to the Lord about it. And this, this grown man who should have learned his lesson in the belly of a whale got spit up on the beach, second chance, this dude who should have known better goes off on this four-year-old temp temper tantrum, kicking dirt, throwing stones, holding his breath and screaming until his face turns red. Goes off, sits on this hill, looking over the city, and he's counting the seconds until God gets his act together and smokes this city. And it's not happening, and it's not happening, and it's not happening. And he's sitting out there in the sweltering sun in the middle of a summer day, burning the top of his head, he's hot, he's miserable, he's upset, and God in his compassion causes a weed to grow. And I've never seen a weed quite like this or quite this big, but, and, or one that would grow that quickly, but it, it, scripture says that it grows and it shades Jonah from the summer day heat. 
God, in his grace and his mercy, finds it suitable to care for Jonah, even in his ticked-off state. But then what happens? The account says that God caused a worm to come and to nibble at the bottom of this weed, so much so that the weed dies, falls over, and Jonah's exposed again. And Jonah, once again, is hacked off, as if he could be hacked off anymore. But if he was mad before, he's ten times madder now. He is just absolutely incensed that God would destroy or allow that weed to be destroyed so his comfort level would once again be destroyed. And I love how God does this. Because if I was God, I don't think there would be near as much, I know there wouldn't be near as much grace. And the lightning bolt, instead of going toward Nineveh, would be toward Jonah. But God doesn't do that either. And he nudges up beside Jonah and he says, this is the way I see it anyways in the Darren version. He says, Jonah, You're more concerned about that stupid weed than you are about the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of people in Nineveh who were spared. You're more concerned about that weed, and why is it? Why is it? And I believe that what God was exposing, what God was exposing within Jonah was this thought and this truth and this idea and this reality that Jonah's worldview included him and his people only. That anything outside of that, anything that was foreign, anything that looked different, anything that was not homogenous, wasn't valid, valid enough to receive and be on the recipient, the receiving end of God's grace. See, there are tons of ways that we can be separated. I think this was a, an education for Jonah. I believe it's an education for us as well. There's so many ways for us to be separate. Color is probably the, the biggest one. seems so insignificant and yet the color of our skin is one of the biggest things that divides us here in the United States of America. And hear me, we can do better. Hear me, I said this back in August and I'll say it again here. Racism is a sin. And there's no room for it here. At Crossroads, there's no room for it here. In Wise County, there's no room for it. Ever. There's so many ways that divide us. Race is one of them. It's huge. But there's so many others as well. Cultural backgrounds. Ask me about it. I'm Canadian. You don't think for a minute that a Sunday goes by without somebody going, um, you're not from here, are you? All right, whether I say foyer or foyer, 
whether I say process or process, whether I say Z or Z, whether I say whatever it might be, y'all are really good at, at reminding me that there are cultural barriers. Trust me. There are, there are things that divide us. And, and isn't, it, isn't it crazy? There are things, that, why do we pick out those things? Why do we, why is the first thing we notice the, the, the oddities between us instead of the things that we have in common? Oh, oh you're a, a Texas Tech fan. Oh, you're an A&M fan. Oh, you're, and we got these, you know, co collegiate gang signs, you know. And, <laughs> right? Oh, you're one of them. Oh, you're one of them. You know? The things that divide us instead of the things that unite us. How about bank accounts? That divides us. How much money we have, how much money we don't have. Oh, okay. Um, oh, you don't have 401k. I'm, oh, I'm sorry about that. How about our neighborhoods? Where do you live? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, and we, and we try to stuff it. Oh, okay, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Do you know that he lives there? <coughs> Neighborhoods divide us. <laughs> Our athletic abilities divide us. Oh, I can see you love buffets. <laughs> and donuts. Yeah, cool. Our athletic abilities or lack thereof divide us. How about our artistic abilities or lack thereof? Whether we're from the city or from the country. Here's one that's, that's pretty rich in uh, Decatur here. Long-timers versus move-ins. Right? Oh, yeah, you, you moved out from the Metroplex, didn't you? I can tell. Yeah, I can tell. Isn't that crazy? But yet it does. It, you know, I think one of the reasons why we can laugh at it is because we know it's true, right? Yankees and Californians. Uh, at first service, I said, and that should have got much more laughter than it did. You know, like, come on. Those things that divide us, Republicans and Democrats. How about religious beliefs or non-beliefs? What, you believe that? Huh, you don't believe that? Backgrounds of church or non-church. You've heard me say I grew up in a Christian home. What about those who, this is their first time in church? Or maybe didn't have a chance to encounter the Lord until late in, the, in their life. How about church style? Worship style, your upbringing, your history, your denominations. You know, it's, it, it divides. So many ways that divide us. The granddaddy of them all guarantee it's race, it's color. But we can do better. We can do better. But when we look to what can unite us and what does unite us, it's one thing, and that is Christ. That is Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that each and every one of us are created in the image of God.
We have been created in his image. Every single breathing, living human being is created in the image of God. That means you can go anywhere in this grand world and find someone who has been created in the image of God. It doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't matter what color their skin is. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter what God they worship. They are created in the image of God and you have something in common. Take that a step further and goes on. Talk about when we have Christ living within us. When we surrender our lives to Christ, there's that added layer of commonality. So much so that Scripture says that those who don't know Christ will know that He is who He says He is by the way that we hang out and treat one another, those of us who have Christ living within us. There's that added level of intimacy. There's that added level of commonality simply when we have Christ living within us. So once again, you can go anywhere in this entire world, walk into a place where Christ followers are meeting and there's that added layer of intimacy, an added layer of commonality. I'm always amazed. I've been in, in Tanzania, I've been in Kenya, I've been in Ireland, I've been in, in, in Holland, I've been all over. Tell you, you land in a church and you're home. You land in a place with Christ followers. You land in a place with other, with other people who have surrendered their lives to Christ and there's an added layer of commonality. It doesn't matter color skin, doesn't matter background, doesn't matter bank account, doesn't matter the type of car you drive. One. So when we say everyone matters, that's what we mean. We mean everyone matters. First and foremost, because you're created in the image of God, you're important to God. Every single living being created in the image of God is important to God. And if it's important to God, it's important to us. That's why we say here at Crossroads that everyone matters. A couple of scriptures and then, and then we're going to close. First of all, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 says this. Paul says to the, the church at Colossae, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. I think that's this hands open thing, this hands extended. As we learn and to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, or a longhorn, or a, you know, you, it doesn't matter what you are. Differences don't matter. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Over in Galatians chapter 3, it says in verse 26, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one. You are all unified in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ... You are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. You are brothers and sisters in Christ. So how do we do this? How do we do this? I believe there are a few action steps for us this morning. 
First and foremost, I believe the word is repent. I'll never forget Decatur, Illinois, year 2000. Looking into that pastor's eyes. And first of all, just confessing and saying, I have no clue what you've been through. I feel it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And I looked into his eyes and I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been ignorant. I've been passive. I'm sorry. I believe that's the heart of God that we start at repentance. Just simply confessing and saying, I've screwed up. That's the beginning. Second thing I believe is, is asking the Lord to give us a new heart. Is to give us his perspective on things, his eyes. We can't do this on our own. It's a driving need for sensitivity and awareness and compassion. And I love what the guy in the video said. This isn't a pet project. This isn't something that I do just to make myself feel good or to do what the pastor says. It's truly hearing from God, being led by his Holy Spirit and saying, God, give me a new heart. Give me a new way of seeing things. Give me a new way of acting. Give me a new way of, of thinking and breathing and living. And then I believe number three is acting and doing, not just sitting idle. And that's not only being proactive toward racial reconciliation, but it's being proactive to shut it up and shut it down when it, when it erupts. Is to say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going down that road. And calling a spade a spade, calling, calling it out when you hear it saying, you know what? God has called me to a higher standard. God has called me to, to be a person who prioritizes everyone matters. And it doesn't matter what your belief is. It doesn't matter what God you worship. It doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter your bank account. It doesn't matter what car you drive or what neighborhood you're in. And it definitely doesn't matter what color your skin is. I'm for you. Because you matter to God, therefore you matter to me. I believe that's what God's calling us to do at Crossroads. To live a life and live our lives that closer reflect His heart for one another, for our community, and for the world. I'm inviting you to stand. Let's pray together. Father God, hear the cry of our heart and even in our, in our feeble attempts, Lord, I, I, I'm trusting that you honor those baby steps and you help us to walk in the right direction and you eventually help us to run and carry the torch that this would be a place where everyone matters this would be a place where we truly embrace the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven your priority for us and it's in Jesus name we pray amen our altar team is, is going to be here at the front. If you guys would prepare. 
And we're just going to, we're going to uh, dismiss in just a moment. If we can pray with you about something, maybe it's about this. You just want to just start today. Draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? We're moving in the right direction. Uh, you might have a, a, a need uh, for something else as well as, as uh, Jonathan mentioned a little earlier for, for many. I think these last days and weeks for, for many people in our congregation have been difficult, tough. And if we can pray with you about those, I, I encourage you. You know who I'm talking about. You know, you know that, uh, that that's you. And I and, uh, invite you to step out and just receive some ministry and some prayer and gather around and, and uh, receive from the Lord. If you need healing, if you, uh, you're just on the start of your spiritual journey and would like someone to pray with you, we'd love to do that. And like I said, we'll dismiss in just a moment here, but let's, let's uh, resolve to turn to the Lord and hear what he has to say right in this moment, okay? God bless.